Welcome to Surf Strong Elite, conversations for a healthy surf community. I'm your host, Greg Finch. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that these episodes will either stream or be recorded live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So we encourage you to join in, ask questions, make comments. If you follow myself, Greg Finch, or Surf Strong Fit on any of those channels, you can participate in the conversation and ask questions. We encourage you to do so. It makes the episodes dynamic, interesting, and reach more of the surf community. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Mark Kazuki. Um, Mark has been a physical therapist for nearly 20 years. He's works with professional athletes in the World Surf League, MLB, Olympians, amongst other professional sports. He currently owns and operates Elite Performance Physical Therapy in Costa Mesa. And Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy oh. to be here. All right. So let's get the most important question out of the way, which is, did you get to surf today? I did not get to surf today. Don't worry. Don't feel bad. Okay. I didn't either. It's like okay. I always tell everybody, you have to at least get a good mind surf in today. So when did you know that physical therapy would kind of be your professional path? Was there a specific moment or kind of an evolution in how you got there? Well, um, initially, I was very intrigued with psychology, like sports psychology. Um, because as an athlete, I knew that that was actually something that was holding me back. And then, um, and then I had a pretty major knee injury and I was introduced to physical therapy for the first time. And then I rehabbed my knee. And then later on, I hurt that knee again, which required surgery. And after going through the process again, I was very intrigued by the process of helping someone heal through an injury. And more specifically, I wanted to be, I was like, you know, this is something I can do. I want to help people get back to their sports. And um, I kind of, after that, was very just, once I made that decision, I was very on that path to becoming a physical therapist. Having that connection and going through uh, that path on your own, you probably touched back on that. It was probably a pretty strong um, not just memory, but something you pull into because when a patient comes to you or an athlete comes to you, even if it was mm -hmm. a while ago, you know what that experience is like, is missing whatever that mm -hmm. piece is in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly because the injury I had was an ACL injury. And so whenever someone goes through that, I just ha draw on my own experience um, as well as, you know, now I've seen hundreds of ACLs, so uh, it, it really helps to um, see someone through that process now. When you have, um, tell me, talk a little bit about the difference between a professional athlete coming in. So let's just say it's somebody on tour or between events uh, on the WSL. They not mm -hmm. only have the pressure of, wanting to get back to what is essentially their career at that point, but they have pressure from sponsors. I imagine all these other things does that, not that it influences you as a professional, but that pressure within them, is there times where you kind of have to be like, 
hey, this is what this timetable is going to be and we'll reevaluate at each step, but you have to mm -hmm. let your body heal. Is it different from say, uh, like me coming in and having a similar injury where the path is, hey, I want to get back to my passion of surfing, but I don't have this external pressure as well. Yeah, the, t the timetable in a professional athlete, definitely it adds um, more pressure to get things right, get them as best as they can, as soon as they can, but also at the same time to have durability and sustainability, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was just talking about ACLs just before. So there was a period of time where it was like success was deemed getting the athlete back sooner. You know, and how fast can we get these guys back on the field and back to their sport? But then they realized that they were kind of blowing them out again. And so then there was a shift of like, maybe not how, you know, like maybe it's more like, let's look at sustainability so this doesn't happen again. So the kind of pendulum shifted again. But I feel that, you know, with the, with the pros there, it's, it's, um, there, everything is just geared towards just healing and, you know, uh, some magic can really happen because they're, they're asking about like, what can I eat? What can I do for sleep? What can I, you know, what can I do? Like it's, you know, versus like, I don't know, you'd say like this other 32 year old who works as a lawyer, who's barely making it into therapy two times a week. It's just going to be a very different type of experience you know yeah look looking for almost call it holistic or just complete or whatever word you want to use mm -hmm. but they're looking for every advantage to come back for both performance and longevity like you're right Correct. they don't want to see that re-injury coming and what can mm -hmm. i do to support it to avoid these things yeah absolutely yeah and i'd say the 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 uh the interesting thing is this like sometimes with the pro athlete, you're like, Hey, you don't have to do all these things. Like they, you know, it's lasers and magnets and, uh, lights and <laughs> right. it, it can get very, it can become very, uh, extensive to what they choose to include. Do you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it can almost be like, Hey, let's pump the brakes and keep it kind of simple because mm -hmm. sometimes I've seen, elite athletes get kind of carried away with all the um things that can be done you know yeah. and it, it almost can then create too many boxes to check right. and then that becomes an issue too but you know uh they're both different you know and I, i'd say the other thing i've experienced too is that like the inclusivity of like having an agent involved and a manager involved like and their their uh compensation is tied in with this with the athlete's compensation it becomes very um an interesting mix right because you want to you would love to assume that the best for the athlete is always the priority but mm -hmm. when you do have those other yeah, it just gets complicated. It's like you it gets said. there's other there's other factors that kind of kind of make it complicated to optimal healing sometimes. Yeah. And and going back to that same idea that that idea of checking all those boxes sometimes 
everybody, but a, a, I would imagine a, a pre professional athlete that their life really revolves around exactly what they're doing 24 hours a day. There's never, there's never a downtime. There's no space just to let healing happen, recharge. I mean, this is a very far analogy, but like my 14 year old, it's what we struggle with all the time. Like she's a great kid. She's got amazing grades. She's a volleyball athlete. She does all these things, but it's like the rest of the time is on a screen or a weight. And it's like, there's no time to just have this space to mm -hmm. let other things in, you know, mm -hmm. and, it, and, and I can imagine as tied into your career and your path and your ambition and all these things is just going. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you look at the path of elite performance, physical therapy, you know, your business and what you have going, is there something on that path that it took you either within your career itself or the business side of things that is taking you on a path that you didn't expect? One of the things and I think we're going to talk about it a little later too, is that this discovery of what I call key release or energy release. Um, it's, it's really, uh, taken my career in a, like a slightly different direction. Um, um, it's kind of drawing in all types of different patients now that, um, that I used to get. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of been a very interesting, um, shift for me. Well, this is a perfect time. Let's talk about it. So maybe just okay. define the startup. I'm sure it's very in depth, and there's a lot to yeah, do. Yeah, I'll try but, to give you the, the 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 short version of it. But um, we'll, we'll take the cliff notes part. It'll yeah, be our jumpy jumpy part. Of it. So, uh, um, I think it was in 2017. I took a course on treating nerves, and it involved very light touch and. Uh, when I was doing the methods that were taught in the class, I started feeling different things that were being taught. And I started just kind of experimenting with that. And people would often twitch and tingle, like, and sometimes visibly twitch. And I thought that this was, oh, this is just part of this nerve release. And so I just called them nerve releases. This is what I'm doing. I'm doing nerve release. And uh, over time, it evolved where I wasn't on a major nerve and people would still be twitching. And I'm like, well, what is this? And I was, doing it in different ways where I was doing it lighter and lighter and lighter to where I was like just barely touching the skin sometimes. And I'm like, I'm still getting these releases. Like this is, this is interesting. Um, and then when I kind of, and I, I knew I was feeling some, I was doing something different, even like I haven't said this another mentioned this before, but sometimes even my body would twitch when their body was switching. And I was like knowing, knowing that something interactive was happening. Um, so sometimes my body would twitch and I go, Oh, I know they're released now. And I go get up and walk and see how you feel. Um, but, uh, eventually I really knew I was working with something different was when the tension that I could feel under my fingers and my hands, I could, I could, I could sense one time when I went to go touch this, uh, surfing athlete's knee, when I touched, when I went to touch her knee. I could feel what I would feel when I was barely touching her skin. And I just held it there for a little bit and she twitched. And I was like, okay, like that was interesting. Um, and then just started to treat sometimes and sometimes starting to treat people if they're open to it, not touching them. When you talk about almost no touch, when you get to that level of key and stuff, 
Do you think that's something you could replicate not being in the same room on some level? Yeah. I'm, yeah. There's a particular athlete that uh, was highly responsive to what I did. Um, he's from Australia. And we knew he wasn't going to be around because he's going to go back to Australia. So we just started to experiment. So I'm like, okay, well, if I can do it from six, six inches away from your body, how about if I try it sitting in the chair? And if I can do it sitting in the chair, how about I do it sitting in this room? And then he's like, you know, how about we just try this when I'm at home in Australia? And what we figured out, this is obviously just kind of out there, but <clears throat> what we figured out, the system that, I don't know, just kind of came to me was um, he would set up his iPhone and I would say, okay, and he, we became very close because he would come over here for treatments and, and come over for like, you know, weeks at a time. And so we would hang out together. So he knew my backyard. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be in my backyard. You be where you are, but I want you to imagine you're in my backyard. Even and like closing eyes and stuff. Yeah. Or? Yeah. Yeah. So iPhones on him and he's very reactive. So his body actually like twitches and things like when he reacts. Right. So the first time we do this, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but it was so weird. And it was, uh, kind of was is trippy but i just said okay you imagine you're here your head's here your feet are here and you did that thing i i could sometimes like scan a person's body where i'm just kind of taking my hand over and i can feel resistance and it was like dude this is so weird but i can feel resistance over this part and i would just hold my hands there as though he was there and he would start to react on facetime do you think it's so also we, voice trigger like like not I, not to not to diminish or separate from no, the no because physical. actually there were times where i didn't tell him what i was doing and he would just start to react that so there takes, was no like oh, yeah so it just spoke to like just so many different things like how connected we are and like sometimes i can i can connect and start to do it without touching someone but i don't want to work <laughs> It actually takes even more work to do that mm -hmm. on like your part more, and my part, like more energy, more focus, more. I can't even explain it all. But if I do a treatment like that with that guy in Australia on FaceTime, I'm like wiped out like this. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I, I, I've kind of gone on this whole like different path because this method can produce like crazy healing sometimes in people that is just it's fascinating to me how quickly something can unravel um faster than what what we're typically taught to taught in school that it takes to take for proper healing and do you think it now i don't want to oversimplify something that obviously is is so deep in the connection and whether it's you know neurological is all of the systems that are involved but mm -hmm. do you see that on some level as almost allowing that patient to not be protecting whatever the trigger for that injury was that that yes. sense of tension yes yes so a lot of times i would say there's like some emotional component like you might say fear something happens and there's an emotion of fear that is involved with that 
that that can create tension within the tissue. And sometimes the analogy that I use is like, it's like a gar guitar string that's like now too wound up too tight. So like the, the string isn't really damp, like there's not severe damage. Sometimes there can be damage to it, but it's like the tension in it is now changed. So like if you get knocked, that actually that that force can change the tension in the strings. And so what I can do with my hands or my energy is to help release some of that tension. So, and sometimes it can be when like, you could say that's a grade one ligament injury where there's no tearing, but it's like bruised and it can sometimes be like instantly gone. Or you can have a grade three where there's some severe damage and still with taking the tension out can provide some type of nerve, like now they're more connected to that area of their body, they can move much better. And it's, it's very, I, you know, I can't fully explain it yet. You know, yeah. I'm still, um, uh, I'm still like working on teaching it too, because I eventually want to teach it as well. But, um, but it's, it's just been fascinating for me. It's just been, it's, it's actually brought a renewed like joy to work because I don't know what's going to happen today, you know, yeah, yeah. type of thing. And, and it can, and, you know, I think it's, you know, you're kind of alluding to it a little bit. It's, it's almost like, um, allowing for a space for that own patient's healing to come out. And some of that is, uh, allowing that, emotional tension that may be wrapped inside of that too, to be released. What seems, um, so there's so many things in there, but one of the things that seems really fascinating and it's almost tied to this idea of, of giving you a new sense of excitement and coming is that you could not do that without utter presence. You can't no. phone that in. You have to no. be right there. You have to be right there. And I'll say that, it's, uh, yeah, it's you, I will say that, you know, so now I don't treat as many patients as I used to because it involves so much focus. Like I couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? Physically, and mentally, I, you could only yeah, do so I'm, many in a day. I'm, I'm fatigued tremendously by the focus that re this requires now. So it's not as much physical fatigue because I used to do a lot of soft tissue work and joint manipulations and all types of, you know, using my hands quite a lot. But the difference is, is you can kind of like kind of go through the motions sometimes with that. Whereas this method, you have to be there. You're, you're you know, I still do the soft tissue work and those things. And I incorporate this with it um, to some degree sometimes. but. Uh, the level of focus it, it, it requires, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pitching innings and then I'm just like exhausted. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with like the mental focus, you know, I think the mental focus, even with the athletes that I've, you know, I work with like on tour, um, it's the mental focus. That's the hardest part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because to, perform at an elite level mm -hmm. that level of focus and concentration it's really just the manifestation of 
all the repetitions of practice, right? Getting up to that moment. So you're on mm -hmm. this new path, but my guess would be that you wouldn't be successful with that if you didn't have the repetitions of the 20 years leading up to that, to be able to be that present and arrive at that moment with all of that skill. And then, yeah, yeah. that utter concentration. And, and, and this is kind of a, a side question almost is I would imagine that the success of that would also be tied to how present the athlete or the patient is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a certain person, like certain people like can really tune into this. I'll say they'll tune in, like they tend to medit, be able to like their tend to meditators tend to be better responders. Mm -hmm. Yoga mm -hmm. practitioners tend to be better responders. High level athletes tend to be better responders. Um, but there's like some random ones too, you know, like I was just like, wow, she's super responsive to this. And I wasn't expecting that, you know? And then there's also the reverse where I think like, oh, this is gonna be a slam dunk. You do this key or energy release and it'll be good. And then I'm like, oh, they're not really, they're not really connecting. And I kind of just have to kind of, then I just start shifting to some more traditional type stuff too. How much do you communicate the process to them prior to the actual treatment? Are you trying to prepare them for it? Or are you just coming in and, and kind of reading where they are? reading reading where they are uh for sure um i have i have now kind of like a general explanation of what i do but sometimes i just go in and start doing it and i they don't require much explanation and then there's some people who i have to keep explaining it over and over again you know but it just depends on the client and the read of the feel you know the situation and sometimes I do a little prep and then sometimes I just start doing it, you know, and sometimes I'll go, what, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, you know, this, then I'll start going into that. Um, I think what ultimately when it comes down to whatever path you take, right. Success is success. If they get up right. and they, they feel that improvement mm -hmm. or that change, they're like, whatever it is, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. That that sounds like something that would be, um, I don't want to say a lifelong pursuit, putting the pressure on you, but it's it's it has to be something that evolves and deepens, and you mm -hmm. just become more aware. And that experience that you're bringing into, on top of all the physical therapy experience that you have now, this this other tool that you're then going to then develop on top of that. It seems like it would just be that's an exciting yeah. path. Yeah, yeah. So it's. It's been, like I said, been fascinating. It's like kind of had some renewed sense of like just fascination with work. So, yeah. um, and I, I do feel it's going to be a lifelong pursuit. I was like, you know, just telling people like, I don't even, I don't think I'm going to retire. Like, I just think I'm just going to continue to evolve and continue to be into this. Like, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what, what, how, how I will be doing this in even 10 to 20 years, you know, like, because yeah. I feel it's at a, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm just, just fascinated with it. It's a, it's a very deep, um, place to, uh, explore. You can't yeah. see the bottom yeah. now. I, yeah. I don't, maybe I don't, never I don't, will. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's an end to it. So 
but I've always been fascinated with refining my technique, you know, when it was even just with joint manipulation or soft tissue work too, like how do, how do you get more precise and accurate and better results faster, you know, with, especially with the clientele that I was, you know, uh, that I deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, so this has just involved like a different path. Yeah. Yeah. So if looking back to this point of your, of your, evolution as a physical therapist and and just as a as as somebody that's working with people and healing um mm -hmm. could you look at back and and pick one um of the most important like professional mentors that you've had in your life yeah i i the first one that the first one that comes to my mind is uh dr tim brown chiropractor who you know who who did that surf summit he kind of put everything together he I, I got introduced, I'd heard about him a while, a while back, but I think I got introduced to him around 2008-ish or 2009 and started working with him at Surf Contest. Tim Brown was, is basically like the godfather of sports medicine for surfing, um, particularly non-surgical stuff. So, um, and he's the one who kind of brought me under his wing and um, I learned his, his style of soft tissue work and, you know, how he would incorporate exercises and it was just really surprising to me at first because I thought chiropractors just kind of cracked people and sent them on their way. And so he was kind of this blend of, I was like, he's kind of like a physical therapist, but still does chiropractic work. And he's kind of this blend and, um, you know, and he was always very warm and collaborative with other professionals. And I thought that was inspiring. Yeah. That you, you alluded to, um, in 2018, Dr. Tim Brown put together and kind of facilitated this surf, uh, movement masterclass, he called it. And yeah, I, we've talked about it numerous times. I reflect on that weekend and the collection of professionals that were there and who we got to learn from that weekend. I just go down the list and it really was amazing. Um, most yeah. of them I had heard of at you know, at some point one, one way or the other, but just being there at that weekend and experiencing all of their expertise and yeah, how giving they were and how collaborative it felt among everybody was amazing. And now four years later, some of those names are just it blows my mind to think back and, and how much more I know about them and have learned from them over the years. That was truly an amazing weekend. So thank you, Dr. Yeah. Tim Brown. That was, yeah. Thanks again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Tim. If, is there one thing we kind of touched on um, just what we we're talking about with key and everything. So this might hit yeah. this right here a little bit because it's so new to what you're doing and developing. But is there one thing in physical therapy or treating patients that almost no one in your profession agrees with you about? <laughs> well, I'll say one thing is that, um, you know, a big, a big thing. Thing right now i'm not sure i'm not sure if you use this but is blood flow restriction i um, have so i the only reason i know about that is um dr peter atia's podcast and i listened to that yeah. and and mm -hmm. had that and i'll let you talk about it but i yeah. don't use it i don't yeah. advocate okay. it for my okay clients yeah so yeah it Go doesn't ahead, it just seems counter productive to me about everything yes. I know about yes. the health and flow and everything. Exactly. So, so 
there a, a lot of my colleagues have shifted towards doing it or using it. So blood flow restriction is where you have a device that limits blood flow to your limbs. So it's like on your thigh or on your upper arm. And you're basically cutting off blood flow to those muscles and you're making them work. And they found through some studies that this helped gain more strength um, more quickly than the other groups. But for me, I feel deeply <laughs> that I, I, it seems like we're in agreement actually um, that, and because this is because of the knowledge I have of working with precision with arteries and nerves specifically, that putting com external compression on them and then asking their surrounding areas to work hard it just i feel that there's some costs to what they're doing that we're not aware of yet and so i am not a big proponent of of using blood flow restriction but a lot of my colleagues have now shifted towards using it so it, it without in a way this is where we definitely agree is that there's just not enough information to mm -hmm. show that these shorter term gains don't have much longer term consequences. We just, yeah. the, the data is not there. And so, yeah. yeah, you know, but that's how we explore yeah. and do all those things. It just to try something in a technique that just moves something or changes something and we try and we do it. But as soon as I just think of the act of that, it just seems counterproductive, but you know, that's technique. So we'll, we'll be in agreement and then other people will disagree with us and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> Talk a little bit. So this is, this is a little bit of a transition because I, I, I want to hear, we, I, I want to learn, we're going to talk about surfing specific in a little bit. So okay. um, this last kind of uh, professional question is, mm -hmm. um, if you could think of an occupation, obviously, other than the one that you do right now, what would you like mm -hmm. to try? You know, we have our, our lifespans are amazing. Knock on wood. Don't get in a car accident. Mm -hmm. Don't get killed. And we have this mm -hmm. potential to have multiple versions of ourselves. What would you like mm -hmm. to try at some mm -hmm. point? Um, something that I would be interested in is like, you know, being in a, in a, position where I could buy homes and flip them and change the architecture and design and see it all come together, you know, and that type of thing. I think that would be cool. So something like along the lines of uh, like a, you know, someone in construction, but also the design part. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because as we speak, when we finish the recording of this, I will be going upstairs and um, <laughs> finishing the electrical in our new kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So there it, you go. the that part I do connect with on though because now that Surf Strong um, Fit is totally remote. I used to have a studio in the past, and now I train only with athletes, surf athletes remotely. And oh, okay. What's great about that is the flexibility it provides, and still be able to connect with surfers anywhere they are, but mm -hmm. it's much more cerebral and it's uh, much more technology based. So to mm -hmm. put that away and to go and then pick up a hammer and do some other things, I find like, I don't want to do construction full time and I don't want to be on a computer full time. So it is, it's a nice mix between the two. So we'll start our new mm -hmm. uh, side hustle flipping soon. 
that sounds good. That sounds good. Here's a, do you have a, like a funny story that your family likes to tell about you that you don't mind sharing with us? Um, the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, I guess when, like, uh, you mentioned, it's like family brings this up is that, uh, my niece and nephew always bring this up or my sister too, but, um, it's at family dinners for some reason, but I used to be an incredibly picky eater. Like I wouldn't, I was very specific on what I eat. And there's a story of where my grandma, uh, offered me kiwi fruit but i was like adamant about never trying it i'm like no i don't want it and then um i eventually tried it and i loved it so they always like i don't know why but that story always gets brought up because i was this very adamant picky eater and then i was then i was fine with it but uh yeah your uh your niece and nephew like that because it's like you got their back you know, exactly. If they, exactly. If they ever need to get out of something. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mark, Mark didn't like this. Yeah, Uncle Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a story that always comes up. That um, did Mark eat this? You know. <laughs> um, do you have Do you have like a, a a morning routine that you kind of use? It can be ritual, like coffee, or it can be more on the physical side of getting prepared for your day. Do you have anything that you follow that yeah. way? Yep. So, um, I really started getting a lot healthier during COVID after COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and my morning routine is now wake up, make my bed. Um, I do 15 minutes of body weight exercises, squats, pushups, lunges, different, you know, mobility drill, like movements, um, do it for about 15 minutes. Uh, and then I typically will take a cold shower for 30 seconds. And that's kind of, I actually don't drink coffee anymore. I don't drink alcohol anymore, but that, that little routine is like the, the 15 minutes of exercise plus the cold shower is like, I'm awake after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do, uh, I'll usually, when I'm taking my shower, I'll do that switch to the cold. It ends up being about 30 seconds or so. What uh, I've what I've found about that is not only the waking up part, but sometimes the act of going from that comfortable warm water to cold, it might be uh, the most difficult thing you do that day. Yeah. <laughs> and just taking yeah. that action and knowing what's coming, the anticipation mm-hmm. of that, there's something mm-hmm. powerful about that. It seems small, but I think mm-hmm. it I think it radiates out exponentially those little things that we do in our day. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So kind of going on the same idea of, uh, routines. Um, so you're going surfing. Mm-hmm. Do you have a pre during and post routine that you do to try to get back in your alignment and prep and kind of get for that session that you're about to have? Um, well, typically that I surf in the morning. So, Typically, I would do that routine I just told you about and then kind of do a couple other things, getting ready and then head out to the beach. Um, So typically, when I get to the beach, I'm pretty like feel pretty open. If there's an area of my body that like I feel needs a little more attention, then I'll do a little more movement or activation before I go surf. But generally, by the time I'm ready to go surf, I'm like feel feel ready. I might do a few little movements here and there, but I don't do as much on the beach. Mm -hmm. And then 
typically I finish my day and this is kind of more of a newer thing within the last six months to a year. I finished my day with more of, uh, I've gone back to static stretching, like traditional stretching in the evenings and uh, been feeling a lot better overall with that. That's also because I've reincorporated jujitsu into my life and that's pretty hard on the body. And I feel that I can actually, before I would train um, jujitsu like two to three times a week, but now I train four to six sometimes. Wow. Depending on surf, you know. So the surf down here has been good through, it was good September, October, like almost for the whole time, basically. So I didn't do as much jujitsu, but we went through this spell. I think it was in April-ish, March or April. It was like, we are, our surf was terrible. We had terrible winds for so long. That's actually one of the things that got me back into jujitsu because I wasn't surfing in the mornings. And here there's no surf in the evenings either because of the onshore winds or afternoons or uh, evenings. Um, but anyways, the routine I have is is I've actually gone, so I'll do my rolling and my stretching in the evening before bed. And then when I get up, I'm doing more activation dynamic movements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty, um, here on the central coast in Morro Bay, it's a similar kind of cycle, except we don't get the South as much as you guys do. So we have longer stretches in the summer, but I see. those afternoons and evenings, uh, when the winds are up, I had a couple of long-term clients like the area around here has great mountain biking mm -hmm. and I did mm -hmm. that in the past. And mm -hmm. I had a couple clients that are just really, really good mountain bikers. And they're like, get a bike, get a bike, get a bike. Because I was doing the same thing. I would do my regular fitness away from the water and then the surf would go flat or blown out and my output would plummet. And they're like, mm -hmm. get a bike because now you can go. It's, it's perfect every day. As long as it's not raining, it's, four to six feet on the mountain every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. other thing that was interesting about that is having that other thing that personally for myself is nothing's going to overtake surfing. That, that you talked about mm -hmm. earlier with the key, the presence to surf, you have to be right there. It just doesn't work any other way. There's so many circles moving to line up. You have to have that. But what I found, interestingly enough, as much as us as surfers the passion that we have for that, it's so amazing how often you can talk yourself out of it. And I think there's something in there as that primal part of your brain, which is just lower risk, eat sugar, salt, and fat, and lower your risk. And as yeah. much as surfing is feeds us, there's a part in there that is, it still has risk at, for your primal brain, lower that. So what I found yeah. for like having that other thing for me, mountain biking now, is when I'm standing looking at it, I, I can say to myself, you either are going to go paddle out right now or you're going to go mountain biking later. And it, mountain biking is certainly not a punishment, but it's not as good as surfing. So I find it mm -hmm. pushes me in the water more. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, go do mm -hmm. that thing because you have to get it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Talk a yeah. little bit Talk a little bit about um, jiu-jitsu for me. Um, that's okay. something I've always had kind of a... I've been fascinated by that. I don't have uh -huh. any experience with it. Uh -huh. Most, you know, if you would say martial arts, I don't have a lot of back. I don't have any background in that. Talk, uh -huh. talk a little bit about that, what that is on the physical for sure, but really the, the mental piece of that to me, because that's almost what I'm the most fascinated by. Like what makes you successful? Not, not as a yeah. 
professional athlete, but as as the path on jujitsu? Yeah, so jujitsu is is fascinating. Um, actually, how I got introduced to it was when we were on tour in J Bay. And there were some guys that did jujitsu, like Michel Burez, and there were a couple other guys. I think it was actually Felipe and um, another Brazilian. But um, um, I, I came into the, one of the houses and I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're doing jujitsu. And I'm like, wait, what? And they were kind of just rolling around and like, I was like, what are you what are you guys trying to do and he's just like oh just try this just try to get past my legs like he like i think michelle was on his back he's like just try to get past my legs and i'm like try to get past your legs and i was just started going and and, and what was crazy about it is i was like sweating and panting like just after a few minutes of trying to pass his legs and i remember i had a backache I think just from the travel, because like to travel to J Bay is like, I don't know, 35 too, hours, 38 hours, long. door to door, door to door. <laughs> um, and what intrigued me about it was the how it made my body feel and all the dynamic angles, because, you know, in training, we typically think very like in one plane, transverse plane, frontal plane, you know, there's some diagonals, but this is just very dynamic, like trying to control someone's leg that's resisting you. And it's, it's in different, you know, it's just totally different angles. And I, like, I was like, wow, my body feels activated in a way that I've never felt before. So that's the, the fact that my body felt more active. My body was more open the next day and it was challenging my mind to try to, how do I get past this guy's legs? And then it, it goes much deeper than that because it's actually becomes more of like a physical chess, you know? Mm -hmm. So you may grab someone's sleeve or someone's arm or, you know, there's so many different ways to kind of enter in. You may grab their leg and you're trying to produce certain result responses that you want. And the other person is trying to do the same. And so there's this whole mental side I think another thing that's really cool about it is you have to stay calm under pressure. So someone may have your back and may have a good position, but you need to be able to stay calm so that you can get out of this bad position and change positions, you know? Um, I think that's a little bit, it's kind of like a different version of a cold plunge, you know? So if, when someone has your back, you just got to breathe, stay calm, you know, and get out of the situation. Yeah. Uh, there's so, there's so many, um, comparisons that you could pull in there to even just right. back to surfing specific breathing, mm -hmm. calm mm -hmm. under pressure, mm -hmm. multi-dimensional, rotational, mm -hmm. dynamic mm -hmm. energy, not, yeah. not expecting something that's coming and be able to react to it without overreacting. Yeah. I mean, the compa yeah. comparisons go on and on. The mm -hmm. other part of that that's always been intriguing to me is, um, you know, there's, of course, tradition and all the things to go. But at its core, it's nothing but you and it's not even who you're competing against. It's really more of like there's it seems like almost such a collaboration between that, yeah. the, mm -hmm. that that idea of connecting with somebody that way and going through this. I mean, I can only compare it to like when I had like a short little stint of wrestling in high school 
the first few times I did that, like I thought I was in pretty good shape, was just exhausted. Just stopped yeah. for, t and it was how many minutes was that? Two minutes? Yeah. I, can't, I can't, can't even breathe right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, can be an incredible like workout physically. It's a good mind workout too. And, um, it's just a, another different challenge to like learn the new techniques and then you're trying to perfect those techniques. And, and community, and connect, community and connection, I imagine too, you're, you're going to the same location, you're seeing the same individuals. Yeah. 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 So I work with in surf strong fit. I work with a lot of different kinds of surfers, but there's a general theme. Uh, a lot of the surfers that come to me are, 30 plus on mm -hmm. up, um, some mm -hmm. younger, but mostly within this kind of age group where there's, there's some commonality within there, which tends to be, oh, suddenly I have a mortgage now and I have a full-time job and maybe I have kids mm -hmm. and I have these, this increasing level of responsibility and they don't even have this realization yet. But what's happening is the way that they communicate it to me is they're saying, my surfing is just dropping. It's, there'll be times I'll go out and I've surfed for 20 years plus and I, things that I, I just can't make things happen like I did before. And we start talking mm -hmm. more about it, of course. And what I almost know before we get into it too deep is the one of the first questions I ask is, okay, over the last month in season, wherever they are located in season over the last month, how many times have you surfed? And they'll say whatever they say. And I say, okay, compare that to when you were at the peak of your surfing performance and how many times on average were you surfing within a month? And it's almost always two, three, four times higher. So mm -hmm. I want to kind of put this scenario past you and mm -hmm. get your professional feedback on somebody that's, uh, let's just call him Bill. Bill's a 50 year old, um, longtime surfer has been surfing for, you know, 30 plus years. And in, a few months, he just put a deposit down on a big surf trip. Maybe he's going to Indo, maybe he's going to South America, but he hasn't surfed in a year. Um, mm -hmm. For the sake of focus, let's just say he doesn't have any specific injuries or you know mm -hmm. any, any underlying health conditions, because that would be almost a different mm -hmm. conversation, um, mm -hmm. which of course is rarely true because we all have something going on. <laughs> but he feels tight. Mm -hmm. He feels paddle weak. Um, mm -hmm. and during the last time he did surf after paddling out, he had to let several sets go by because he just, he couldn't catch his breath. So what would be your suggestions for Bill to get ready for that surf trip? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, a big question. I know yeah. so you can take segments of it. Yeah. So, so one thing I would, I would have him start is probably like that routine of 15 minutes a day, just starting to get your body moving. If he's feeling real tight, you know, just, that would be <clears throat> one thing that starts getting him on the right trajectory. So that, you know, and you said he's going to go in three months. Um, let's, yeah, let's say three okay, months. So, so yeah, so three months, he's going to move a lot better and feel a lot more flexible just, just from doing that. Cause that's just adding one little thing in every day. Um, <clears throat> If he's able, if he is he an if he was in uh, in an area where he's able to surf, I would just encourage him to start surfing more because the the paddling itself, nothing can kind of really replicate that. So just getting into paddle shape again, starting to duck dive waves and paddle and work on timing positioning, I feel that 
you know, if you're able to surf, that that's a great way to start getting some conditioning in. And, you know, I usually recommend some other type of cardio, whatever, and kind of just kind of going with what they like. Cause like some people like to run and some people don't like to run and some people are cool with mountain biking or biking. And, you know, so in involving some other form of cardio is another thing that I would recommend. Um, I would probably incorporate some type of core work as well that could possibly be mixed in with the 15 minute train or it could be something separate. Um, I've actually gone back to uh, resistance training. So I feel the benefits of that too with my jujitsu and my own surfing. So um, there was like a period of my career where um, I wasn't as focused on resistance training because I felt a lot of times it made athletes too stiff, which predisposed them to injuries. But I feel now that it can be balanced out and that the gains are pretty nice to have with your strength. Um, particularly, I notice it in jujitsu, just grabbing arms and pulling on legs that if you have a little more strength, it's going to help you. You know, technique is, is the underlying thing, but having some just pure strength helps too. So, so um, define as you would define it to um, people listening. Um, what is resistance training to you? So to me, resistance training is something that's going to involve something external that makes the movement uh, um, more challenging. So you could use resistive bands, for example, and do row a row type movement, or you could you know, be bent over a bench and do a row with a dumbbell. Now you're getting extra weight or resistance to the movement to improve your um, power or strength. So those are the things I've been slowly incorporating again that I haven't done for years and years. Um, I've been mostly kind of went through a phase where I was just mostly doing body weight stuff, like things on a ball, um, different forms of core training. I use red cord. I use different things. Red cord is kind of like TRX, but mm -hmm. more versatile. Mm -hmm. um, uh, multi, uh, multi-planar. If, yeah, if multi-planar. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Multi-planar. Yeah. Um, a little more dynamic. Uh, I, I also incorporate DNS into my treatments, which is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which comes from Prague. It's kind of based on how a baby moves. So the premise is, is that no one teaches a baby how to move, but just at certain stages, it learns to like roll over and um, get up from its back to its side, to all fours and crawl. And those movements are, are what helps our muscles and bones and joints grow uh, correctly the those movements that they go through help to um how should i say it um just helps to develop our bodies correctly and the premise of dns is that adults too can then go through these movement patterns to help reset and rewire the brain and get the joints more centered together and so sometimes i incorporate DNS exercise into what I'm doing as well. 
Yeah, my, my first exposure to DNS was also at that 2018 Surf Movement Masterclass. And uh, during the presentation, it was so much great information. But what I always <laughs> click back to and what I is so stark in my memory is they flashed up one of the um, pictures and they're showing this child, infant, toddler, I guess, in a squat position, of course. And it's perfect. It's perfect form. Totally mm-hmm. untaught, of course, and every alignment in foot position, mm-hmm. knee, hip, shoulder, everything. And they're just down in this natural position and they could stay there forever. And it does just reinforce how much we unlearn over this time by different movements and then tension and tightness. And it almost goes back to some of that key. It would be interesting to see you wouldn't be treating necessarily a toddler, but it would be interesting to see how present they could be through some of that technique. And I imagine it would be very high. (laughs) Yes, actually that is another thing is that kids are very responsive. Yeah. Very responsive. And I, I find that the older the individual is sometimes it's harder for them to tune into it. Yeah. And you touched on a little bit when you were talking about it before, And it might just be a little bit of a theory or projection for you, but how much do you think of that is that fear? Fear of either the injury, fear of loss of control, um, or wherever it comes from. How much of do you think of that as based in fear? A lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Almost any topic that we could bring up, we could ask that question and it would be a lot. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and and the more that i'm as i'm as i'm progressing it's tuning in it's listening very well to what the words that they use and um there's there's lots of clues they'll say sometimes a little say i'm afraid of doing this and you're just like whoa they're afraid of sitting you know (laughs) Um, and so how, and then, so then I start to go in, like, how do I, not only with my hands, but also with suggestion, like, just go, you know, how do I convey an energy and words that will kind of insert a different program in that it's going to be okay. Right. You know, and it's so, so it so circles back into like the start where you mentioned the sports psychology piece of it and yeah. trust and trust issues. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, mm-hmm. it could, it just goes on and on. Yeah. So I've definitely become the sports psychologist that I was re- originally interested in because it's uh, a critical perf- part of performance, you know, sports performance, and it's a critical part to healing. and you know, it's been, it's just been a fascinating journey and kind of even the understanding that the placebo effect, you know, the placebo effect both works in both directions and they call it, they call it a nocebo when it's a negative, but that same great power works in both directions. And I feel that with the right presence, energy, listening words, you can take some, like usually people are actually noceboing themselves and, and taking them into further limitations than they actually need to be. And so with the, with the right presence, words, listening, treatment, you can get incredible results very quickly because now you're tuning into that. You're taking them out of that, taking them out of 
basically limiting their own, own cells to now unlimiting them. Which then would, in a lot of ways, probably um, <clears throat> release the energy that they're taking in that area to protect yeah. themselves and mm -hmm. allowing them to then ad adapt it to whatever you're working on to improve. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, oh man, what a great, what a great path for you coming from yeah. that start and through all of these last 20 years of this physical, much more hands-on therapy and circling mm -hmm. back around and marry them together that I can see why you're excited to go to work now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, um, I'm kind of just playing every day at work. Like, you know, just, just kind of just doing it slightly different and like, what if I do it this way? Uh, that's a little bit better. What if I do that way? Oh, no, it's not a good go back to this way and change it again. And it's constantly churning different knobs, pushing different buttons, kind of seeing patterns like oh, this, this patient kind of reminds me of this and kind of like, we'll try this and that. And then it, it usually just gets more refined over time. <clears throat> It's like, it's really just, it, you're building a tool chest to see where this replicates often. So I'm going to use mm -hmm. some of this and then, oh, that, I remember that time before, of course that's mm -hmm. experience and it's also yeah. just fine tuning the technique of it. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. really, that's so fascinating. We could talk about that for hours, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have a question for you now. So, so next week there's a day where you don't have any responsibilities not professional, not personal on the calendar. Okay, I know this is daydreaming a little here. We all have something, but just pretend. How would you spend that day if you could spend it anyway? Mm -hmm. So how would I spend that day? Uh, well, if, you know, I would do my morning routine um, and then I would go surf, right? And hopefully the waves are really good. Oh, it is, then, you're daydreaming. They're perfect. Okay, so yeah, so it's just, it's just like, I don't know, six to eight feet and offshore and no one's out. <laughs> just some friends, just some close friends. Yeah, just just close friends. We're at the secret spot. And then I'd say we surf for a few hours, just tired. And then um, like two to three hours. And then if I can make it, I'd go to the 11 a.m. jujitsu class. If not, I'm okay. And then probably have nice lunch maybe take a nap and then train jujitsu in the evening. And if I still had energy, I'd lift weights. And that sounds like, uh, probably a pretty common day that you're able to get within your month. Not all the time, but those components no. you're, you're yeah. living the life components. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not complaining right now. <laughs> no, I'd um, say like, I'm, I'm usually getting wet surfing or doing jujitsu, you know, I'm, I'm, I've dedicated my life to a much more active lifestyle, particularly since COVID. Like I've, I'm probably, I, I hover around 155 now. I used to hover around 180, 185. Right, yeah. right at the end of COVID or thereabouts when things no, started opening before up. Before that, I was, I was dropping weight then, but I'm definitely have a healthier lifestyle. What was the yeah. shift, do you think? What was the shift just you stepping back, whether too much within the business or the treatments that you're doing what was the shift that that was that was part of it it was also just covid going hey you could just 
you know, get sick and, you know, so it was more about me like, okay, how do I optimize my health more? I don't, I don't feel that this narrative was spoken about enough, but, you know, healthier people are generally going to be much better off regardless of what illness they contract. Um, you know, I feel like the, the, the shots were, uh, to some degree overemphasized while diets <laughs> diet and exercise were not, you know, emphasized nearly enough. Um, so yeah, my shift was partly just because, um, I wanted to get healthier and just optimize my life more. Yeah. I had this, um, this, this last weekend we went up, uh, I, Morro Bay is just South of Big Sur. So mm -hmm. we have some close friends that, um, have a place up there and they were just inviting some people over for some music and, you know, and not huge, but enough to where I was running into people that I hadn't seen since before COVID for sure. Some of them mm. just people are still slowly starting to, you know, in the circles and people being busy again. So you're just not interacting and seeing them as much. And a couple friends that, um, used to come when I had the studio and we would do, you know, group training together and, you know, they, and they just reminisce, reminiscing on missing that. And mm. one thing I do particular when, now that the business is fully remote, I, I, this doesn't happen as often. I still see people that I, that I train out in the community, but not nearly like when I had a physical studio, that was much more often. Mm -hmm. And I do a very big separation as much as I can. My, you can never completely separate your professional experience and, you know, your point of view, but I like to interact with somebody as Greg, not as Greg, the trainer. And so, but it happens on occasion and it happened this time where this one person was just saying, yeah, I just tried to do burpees the other day and, you know, some push-ups, and I, I could barely do any compared to when I was coming to the studio and doing it. And we got into this conversation and this is something I work on and try to remind <clears throat> myself of. I interact with other professionals quite often and we have a language and maybe a base knowledge that not that we take it for granted, but it's just something that we have that we pull from. And I was just talking to this individual and, and realizing that they're like this idea of muscle atrophy of just, if you're not using it, your body is, your brain is not going to maintain it because it just takes way too much energy and way too many calories. And it say, so you're not using it and it's gone. And really just kind of saying that to them just almost as an aside, and they kind of stopped me. And later I saw them again. It was, you know, part of <coughs> moving around and he stopped me and he pulled me and he said, I've never thought of it that way. And it just really, it really punctuated for me, this idea that maintaining strength, like almost back to COVID. And I have a couple of mm -hmm. family members that are older now and going through some things and maintaining strength as long as you can, as consistently mm -hmm. as you can is mm -hmm. so, so important. So there's your PSA for the day. Everybody take that for what you will, <laughs> but maintain your strength. Um, okay. So a couple of fun questions to end as we wrap up here. One is, do you have a, a surf destination that you just love that you've gone to either numerous times and can't wait to get back to? That's part A. Part B of that is, do you have a dream spot that you've never been to that you can't wait to get to? 
being on tour, uh, that's a little unfair. You're a little bit skewed <laughs> as a professional. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that the tour thing is it was good and it exposed me to a lot of places. But I will say that a lot of times it was like a tease because I was working so much. Right. And that any of the good times the surfers wanted to be out there and I was just kind of getting scraps. Um, there were some times where I got some good surf, but there were also some times where I was working the entire time <clears throat> or at least you were the entire so, you time were so close surfer. to Disneyland, but you were stuck yeah. in the parking lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was cool though, but I will say that my, I think that uh, my favorite place is J Bay. It's very magical there. The wave is amazing. The energy of South Africa is amazing too. Um, but surfing the wave at J Bay, I just remember like catching one of my first waves and you, can feel this wind flying at you and just going down the wave it just feels like you're flying like you, i literally felt like i was flying down the wave um and it's just it's like an incredible incredible wave like it's fast and powerful and uh super fun um the one place that i want to go that i haven't gone is like one of those just nice waves in indonesia I, I've, I've been to indonesia but i wasn't like these barreling longer waves that just seemed perfect so something like the mentawise or kandui or something would be uh you know a big box that i'd like to check someday like some boat trip or something like that um are there three or so books you can plus or minus um that okay. you recommend most and <clears throat> why do you why do you recommend them well, the one book that I recommend mostly, and this is more to colleagues and people who are in the health field, but I think it'd be good for kind of anyone to hear or, or, or get this info is that, and I don't even know how I stumbled upon this book, um, but it was called The Lost Art of Healing by, um, he's a cardiologist and his name was Bernard Lohan. And um, after reading that, it just kind of revolutionized how I was approaching people. And it was, it was you know, the premise a lot was like on listening. And also um, he kind of just pointed out in the book that doctors always prepare for worst case scenarios. And um, by doing, because they want to minimize litigation. So they do more um, and prescribe more than is necessary and more tests than are necessary and um, end up kind of somewhat can, a lot of times can over treat the patient and the same time can um, limit the patient in their recovery by what a lot of times what they say and so he, he goes into a lot of storytelling about how he would just kind of start to play more with hope giving patients hope and so this you know i think the example was a, a cancer patient who should have just lived months but just kind of just kept saying well yeah go on that surf trip to across the atlantic and do that you'll be fine you got plenty of years and you just kept living and 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 so um i've kind of incorporated that into my practice yeah that idea of that uh, it, it it's so easy to to discount that idea of this mm -hmm. positive manifestation of things as ah uh, you know it's just freely talk and whatnot. But mm -hmm. there's so much of the there's so much of the brain that we just have no. I talk about you know the deep the deep well and not seeing the bottom. I mean we know so little about that mm -hmm. and that idea of 
I mean, even just go very simply and not even to terminal or health even, and just how you start your day. Like when you mention your morning routine and making your bed, that is such a critical thing. It seems so small, but mm-hmm. it's starting your day with this positive. And mm-hmm. like, our, again, our 14 year old, it's like these little things. <clears throat> I, I really kind of incorporated that to her and talked to her a lot about it. And now she, her, her room might be a mess because she's 14, but almost every day her bed is made. And it's that idea of like, if you have a crappy day, which we all have on a, you know, varying degrees, sometimes you come home mm-hmm. and you are getting into something that you already completed and you're starting your sleep on a positive note and starting your day on a positive note, those little things become incremental and that positive progression is so critical. Yeah, for sure. You have any other books? Oh, um, the other book that I recommend to people is Blink. Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, And it just talks about intuition, you know, and just how, you know, lots of little stories, lots lots of little things about intuition. And, And so since that time, I've just been more aware of it. And I feel that most of the time I've been checking my intuition and go, okay, this is what, you know, well, for whatever it is, I always kind of take note of like my gut feelings, this, and then I might go into reasoning and do this. And I find that most times that kind of quick, 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 uh, snap judgment is usually pretty, pretty clear and accurate. And I teach my students to try to tune into that, you know, this, for me particularly, it's like <clears throat> there's kind of an ocean of techniques and an ocean of exercises that you can provide with someone, but you start to develop the ones that work well with you and um, you find good results. But it's a lot of times how to incorporate that. And sometimes for me, it's like, ah, do I want to give this exercise or should I give that exercise? And um, I find that a lot of time, if I'm just tuning into my intuition, it helps me particularly with which, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go with this patient? Cause there's just so many, so many things you can do. Um, but I find that kind of tuning into your intuition, um, can help tremendously. And that works for work stuff and all types of life stuff. Yeah. It's checking back in. It's mm-hmm. having these little tools to come back to presence, right? It's just mm-hmm. the idea of our head is always going so many different places. And now with so much input that we get every day, it's just stopping. It's it's so interesting how often I repeat a lot of the same things to clients. It's like, stop and breathe. Okay. Three big, deep nasal diaphragmatic breaths right now. Like you can't say it enough. And it's so funny because mm-hmm. every time I say that to somebody or write it, or send a message. I'm telling myself. It's that's what's so interesting about that is, it, mm-hmm. you never stop learning that. So it's foundational mm-hmm. things to come from and check back in. And I'll go to this. I give the. I'll give this short little analogy that happens all the time. People will come and they'll say, "Well, you know, like a surfer will come and say, okay, I, I want to get into better surf shape. What should I do, right? Which of course is a huge question. It's like, which I imposed on you, which you did a great job yeah. of making succinct. Um, but I, my response almost, and this is a casual you know, exchange, say at this party, it could have happened easily. 
and I'll say anything every day for the next three weeks. Just start being consistent in a positive progression. Do the foundational things. And if you can do that 10 minutes every day for the next three weeks, come back to me and I'll get more specific with you. And it's not putting them off or it's not it's not flipping in any way. It's really just trying mm-hmm. to trying to get back to the core part, which is information overload is so common for all of us. We are looking mm-hmm. for answers or quick fixes or whatever it is. And it's just the will to stay consistent, like your 15 minute routine every morning. It's like mm-hmm. I that's it's not a loaded question when I ask guests, like, what's your perfect day like? But when that part of that routine that comes back in that just shows us where that core piece of starting and checking back in it's like begin again every day begin again Mm -hmm. with those positive things um Mm -hmm. where can people find you online uh online our website is pteliteperformance.com um on instagram I believe it's PT underscore elite performance. And then my, also my Instagram is Mark Kazuki on Instagram. Mark, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, All the stuff that we talked about is amazing that among all those things, that key that is so it's, it's so fascinating. Um, Just how deep that, well, we don't have to go into it. Go back and listen to the show again, if you want to hear more about that, but um, (laughs) I'll have all of uh, Mark's, contact information, reach online, all of his book recommendations, all of this information I'll put in the show notes for you guys to be able to click and get to that. Um, Follow up with me. You can direct message me. You can find us at surfstrongfit.com on pretty much all the social medias. It's at surfstrongfit. I'm Greg Finch. Thanks again to Mark. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Greg. It's been 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 an awesome talk and I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in to Surf Strong Elite. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe because that helps this podcast reach even more surfers. I'm focused on keeping our surf community healthy and surfers strong in the ocean till their last breath. Together, we can do just that. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.